Pray with me. Almighty God, we come before you this evening in memory of your son's sacrifice on our behalf and for our sins, and we are humbled. Take the words of Scripture and implant them deep in our hearts and empower me in these words that I have prepared to be your words for your people this evening. And we give this all to you through Jesus Christ, our crucified King. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. See as they strip the robe from off his back and spread his arms and nail them to the cross. The dark nails pierce him and the sky turns black and love is firmly fastened onto loss. But here a pure change happens on this tree. Loss becomes gain, death opens into birth. Here wounding heals and fastening makes free. Earth breathes heaven, heaven roots in earth. And here we see the length, the breadth, and the height where love and hatred meet and love stays true. Where sin meets grace and darkness turns to light. We see what love can bear and be and do. And here our Savior calls us to his side. His love is free. His arms are open wide. Malcolm Geit captures beautifully in this sonnet what some may call the paradox of the cross. Loss becoming gain, wounds that heal other wounds. Yet paradox is not strong enough to capture the great reversal that takes place when Jesus, the high king of heaven, humbles himself willingly to be nailed by his rebellious creatures to the cross. While the cross and Jesus' self-sacrifice upon it is certainly a paradox, the cross and the crucified king who hangs upon it evoke two stronger evaluations. These evaluations of the cross are diametrically opposed to one another. On the one hand, a king crucified by his own subjects especially a king with divine origins such as Jesus, is judged to be a scandal, a scandal, an utter folly or foolishness. As Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, we proclaim Christ the King crucified, a scandal to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Such a crucified king in his defeat in his death, is worthy of only scorn and mockery. On the other hand, Christ the King crucified is judged to be the very embodiment and demonstration of the wisdom and the power of God. In what is judged to be the the ultimate reversal, the divine human King of creation, Jesus Christ wins victory over death, sin, and the devil, Not by avoiding death, but by dying. Dying on the cross. As Paul continues in Corinthians, But to those who are called, Christ crucified, the King crucified, is the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
To one steeped in the scriptures of the Old Testament, these two evaluations of the cross of Christ should come as no surprise. For they are clearly prophesied hundreds of years prior to Christ's incarnation and crucifixion in our lesson read this evening from Isaiah. And what may sound to many as utter foolishness, a scandal, Isaiah prophesies these words. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. And his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which has not been heard they hear. In the fallen kingdoms of mankind, such wisdom as Isaiah Isaiah relates here is indeed judged to be folly. Yet in the economy of God's kingdom, God himself judges it to be wisdom. My servant shall act wisely. When Jesus willingly submitted himself to the Father's will and subjected himself to be ridiculed, beaten, and unjustly murdered by his own creaturely subjects, he acted wisely. Do you think he acted wisely? Would you act so? He was acting and living along the grain of creation. As God intended it, That is what it means to live wisely, to live in step with the intentions and character of God ingrained within creation itself. The wisdom of Jesus that leads him to the cross is the wisdom of true prudence, not in the weak sense of self-interested caution, but in the true sense of knowing exactly what to do in order to bring about the intended result. You see, in being nailed to the cross, Jesus was not a victim of happenstance. He knew exactly what to do to bring about salvation, forgiveness of sin, reconciliation with God, and healing for humankind. Listen to Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a lamb that before its shears is silent, He, in an act of volition, opened not his mouth. Animals go as uncomprehendingly to slaughter as they do to shearing. However, Jesus, the suffering servant, who knew well what lay in store for him, went to his death with calmness. He opened not his mouth. And this reflects not an ignorant, but a submitted mind. And this may be the most important piece of our lesson from Isaiah, and maybe of Jesus' substitutionary sacrifice on our behalf. Though Jesus did not deserve to die, he was willing to do so. Though Jesus did not deserve to die, he was willing to do so. He was willing to act wisely. Jesus did not deserve to die. This much is clear from Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. The prophet says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, 
smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was placed the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus on the cross is stricken, smitten by God, afflicted, pierced, crushed, chastised, wounded, not because of anything he had done, but because of our transgressions and iniquities, because of your transgressions and iniquities, because of my transgressions and iniquities, that God placed on him to bear in that moment of willing submission. Jesus did not deserve to die, but he was willing to do so. This is a central truth of the gospel of God's grace. Jesus, though not deserving of death, died willingly on our behalf, bearing God's righteous judgment and wrath against our sin. This is where animal substitution fell short in the sacrificial system under the old covenant. Because animal sacrifices could not properly address sin as willful rebellion against their creator. Willful rebellion against God. Sin as willfulness is the thing that God cannot overlook. It is the very heart of our sinfulness that we sin because we want to. We do not want Jesus. We do not want the Father. We do not want the Spirit to rule over us. Because of this, no animal can do more than be a picture of substitution. Only a person can substitute for a person. Only a consenting and submissive will can substitute for a treacherous and rebellious will. Jesus fulfills the stated requirements for a substitute. He identified with sinners in their condemnation. That's Isaiah 53, 4-6. He was without the stain of sin, as Isaiah 53, 9 clearly states, he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. He was acceptable to God. This is identified because God actually lays on him the sin of sinners as a sacrifice that God actually crushes him. It shows that he was an acceptable sacrifice. And he did what no other person would or could do. He willingly accepted and submitted himself to the role of our substitute. In willingly becoming our substitutionary sacrifice, Jesus acted wisely, not foolishly. He acted in line with God's character, which is woven into the fabric of his creation. Jesus knew the deeper magic at work in the economy of God's kingdom, just as Aslan knew the deeper magic at work in Narnia. In the line, the witch in the wardrobe, one of the central characters, Edmund, sinned. He committed treachery like each of us do. He betrayed his brother and sisters and Aslan to the witch. This crime was worthy of death, and the witch sought to have him executed for it. However, Aslan intervened by offering the witch his own life in place of Edmund's. The witch was very pleased with this substitution, for Aslan was the only one hindering her from gaining full control and power over Narnia, 
And so his death would be most welcomed. Aslan willingly allows his life to be taken in place of Edmund's. The witch kills him on the stone table. Aslan does indeed die. And at this moment, he looks to be the fool. Yet he does not remain dead. He does not remain dead to the shock and joyful astonishment of Susan and Lucy who have witnessed this great reversal. In their bewilderment, the resurrected Aslan explains the meaning of what happened. He explains the wisdom of his action. He says it means that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a deeper magic still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would break and death itself would start to work backwards. Jesus knew the deeper magic of God's creation. He acted wisely in willfully submitting himself to humiliation. Can can you imagine? Jesus Christ, the Logos, the wisdom of God that was at his right hand creating the world, creating each, each human being. Willingly submitted himself to be killed by you and by me. He acted wisely in willfully submitting himself to humiliation and death upon the cross in our stead, though he was the king and had committed no treachery, no sin. Through his humiliation and death, he won the victory over death, sin, and the devil. You see, Good Good Friday... Though a solemn day is never a morose or a morbid day. Our lesson from the gospel of St. John will not permit such a view. Because on this day, Jesus hung on that cross, not in defeat, but in triumph. He was indeed lifted high and exalted upon that gruesome tree. John understands the crucifixion as triumph, not as defeat. Jesus reigns for John as the king on his hardwood throne. We do not have to wait until Easter vigil to see the victory of Jesus over the devil. We do not have to wait to Easter vigil to see the victory of Jesus over sin. And we do not have to wait to Easter vigil to see the victory of Jesus over death. His victory is present in full display upon the cross where he cried out in triumph, it is finished. It is accomplished. And as Matt reminded us today, earlier, it is accomplished once and for all. There's no reneging on the deal. What is it that Jesus victoriously accomplished upon the cross? Our lessons from Isaiah and Hebrews list the accomplishments. I hope you heard them. His chastisement brings us peace. 
That is shalom, utter flourishing with God, one another, and God's good creation. His wounds heal our wounded souls. His soul makes an offering for our guilt. He makes us to be accounted righteous before God. He bears our sins and iniquities. He makes us holy through offering his body once for all. He sat down at the right hand of God and awaits the time when his enemies will be fully subjected under his feet. He perfected us who are being made holy. He offers complete forgiveness of sin for those who in repentance believe. He made a way for us to access the very presence of God the Father by his shed blood and broken body. And he's not done. He sprinkled clean our hearts from an evil conscience with his blood. And he washed our sinful bodies with the pure waters of baptism. It is finished. It is accomplished. All those things and more are done for you. For me. And with Paul, we can join our voices in triumph. Even on a day like this, even on Good Friday, we can cry out in victory. O death. Where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the sting of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you come tonight in devotion before the cross, or whether you stay remaining at your seat, the cross upon which the king was crucified Will you see it as folly? Will you see it as a scandal of weakness? Or will you see it as the wisdom and power of God at work in this world, the deeper magic? If folly or a scandal, pray for the grace of God to reveal to you his suffering servant king in all his majestic power and unfathomable wisdom turn to him tonight in repentance trusting that his death on your behalf has indeed freed you from sin and death and reconciled you brought you back to the father and for those of us who see the crucified king In his crucifixion as the wisdom and power of God, let us, as Hebrews exhorts us, let us act in the grace of God that is ours and draw near to his throne this evening at the foot of this cross. Let us go out from here and hold fast without wavering the confession of our hope rooted in the cross of our crucified king. And let us consider how to stir up each other to love and good works, bearing our crosses in our homes our neighborhoods, our jobs, and in this city. May God give us the grace, and he he desires nothing more than to give you that grace. May God give us the grace to do so, lifting high the banner of the crucified King. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.